This message was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. If you don't have a Bible, we have some free copies we'd love to give you. If you'd like to have one, just lift your hand. We have those who are passing through now uh, with Bibles if you would like to take one of those. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. We're doing a little series on the church in Corinthians this week. I have the privilege this morning of doing a message on the grace of giving. Bill came to me recently and he said, Kent, uh, when you uh, finish your intern duties this week of scrubbing the toilets and mopping the floors and taking out the trash and arranging my bookshelves and pouring my coffee, I would like you to prepare a sermon on giving. I will take the one on love and spiritual gifts, and you take the intern sermon on giving. I'm kidding. It's, uh, it's Megan who actually pours his coffee, not me. In all seriousness, though, when we really read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, we get the impression that the sermon on giving is not the one that is uh, for the dustbin, the one that's difficult to give. The one on giving is meant to be for us a participation in the love of God, in the love of others, participation in the spiritual gifts. You can see it in, in chapter 8, verse 4, as the Macedonians begged us earnestly, Paul says, begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. The Macedonians considered giving to be a favor, and they begged Paul to do it. And so, this morning, I hope we will come away from a sermon on giving with that kind of eagerness and realization that this is the grace of God, the grace of giving. Paul, even in Romans chapter 12, includes giving and generosity as one of the spiritual gifts. It might be surprising to us to hear that, but right along the list of prophecy and service and teaching and exhortation and leadership and mercy, he includes this gift of generosity. So as, as Bill was preaching last week on the spiritual gifts that we yearn for as a church for building up the body of Christ in love, generosity and giving is one of those ways that the Spirit of God gifts His people to build up His church. And as we look at these two Corinthian letters, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and we unpack what God is doing in the church and what God desires for the church, Paul is not simply thinking about love and about spiritual gifts, but he's thinking uh, in a number of places in these two letters about uh, giving gifts generously to those who have need. There is this ongoing story in these two Corinthian letters about this collection that the saints in Corinth are taking up for those who are poor in Jerusalem. It's as if Paul thinks this giving, this generosity is a part of what makes the church filled with the love of God and the grace 
of God. And so this sermon about giving fits with what we've been doing over the last two weeks as we're thinking about what kind of church ought we to be. We ought to be a church filled with the love of God. We ought to be a church filled with the spiritual gifts that God has given us. And what flows out of that is a church that is generous in its giving, full of grace. Now, sometimes pastors preach sermons on giving because there is a need that needs to be met. There's a shortfall in the budget. There's a building fund. There's something lacking. And sometimes that might be legitimate. Paul seems to be doing that in some ways with the Corinthians because they're falling short in uh, what they had committed to give to the poor saints in Jerusalem. And I want to say this morning, that's not the reason for this sermon on giving this morning. God has been gracious in our congregation and, and through the generous gifts of this church, I know that we finished 2018 above our budget in giving. And that is in spite of the fact that we sent a church plant out to Athens and sent away a number of our, our members to Athens, and yet we still finished the year above our budget in giving. So this sermon is not coming to you this morning in order to fill up a need that is lacking. This sermon is coming this morning simply because Paul is concerned about giving in the church. And this is a way for us to think together, not in a time of lack, but in a time of generosity in this church about why we do this and what should our money, what is the, the role of money in the life of a Christian and giving in the life of a Christian. I'm, I am impressed, as Bill said to me, uh, repeatedly at the generosity of what I find in this church. When we do fifth Sunday offerings, when, when people rush to snag names off of the angel tree and the way we give to our mission teams. So, this sermon is not coming this morning to fill up a lack, but simply because it's part of what Paul says about the life of a church. So I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, and then jump to chapter 9 and read verses 6 through 12. So read with me. 2 Corinthians 8, 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, 
but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, the main point this morning, which I think you can see probably readily from those two sections I read, the main point flows right out of those two passages. That is that the grace of God, the grace of God enables us to give joyfully and generously for His glory and the good of others. So this morning, my first point that we draw out from these passages is the fuel of giving. I'm going to talk about the fuel of giving, the heart of giving, and the goal of giving. We see in Paul's mind here that the fuel of giving, the motivation of giving, is the grace of God. The grace of God is what motivates us to give. When we ask ourselves, what should motivate me to give? Well, it should not be what other people think about us. That should not be our primary motivation. What are people going to think? In fact, Jesus tells us you shouldn't, when you give, let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. We're not doing this in order to earn the favor of others. We should also not give in order to cover some guilt. I feel guilty before God. Maybe if I give something, it'll make me feel better. We should also not give in order to fulfill some perceived rule of religious duty that we have. That's not what should primarily motivate us. I've got to check off these tasks that a good Christian ought to check off. Nor should we give in order to uh, as a payoff in order to avoid other acts of service to Christians. You know, I don't really feel like serving others and loving others. Maybe if I just give money to it, then I'll feel better about not uh, helping in other ways. Sometimes we we give for these reasons. None of those things are the motivation for giving in Paul. Those are not the things that ought to fuel our giving. What should fuel our giving is the grace of God. Notice again how Paul starts chapter 8. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So where did this abundance of joy and this wealth of generosity come from? Paul thinks that it came from the grace of God. I want you to know about the grace of God in Macedonia. We see that in that abundance of joy and that, and that wealth of generosity. It's the grace that instigates that. Or if you look at chapter 9, verse 8... Paul says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So when we abound in every good work, including the work of giving, it is because the grace of God abounds to us first. It is the grace of God that creates the giving, that fuels the giving. A number of times throughout these two chapters, Paul refers to this gift that the Corinthians are collecting for the saints in Jerusalem as an act of grace, as an act of grace. You see it in a few different places. For example, in chapter 8, verse 6, accordingly, he says, we urged Titus that, had, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace 
Verse 7, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. And he does this in other places. He calls this an act of grace, not primarily because the Corinthians are being gracious in their giving. He calls it an act of grace because it is a gift that flows from the grace of God first. So I was trying to ask myself, what? How is it that the grace of God fuels our giving as Christians? And I think in these two letters, Paul gives us a few different kinds of ways that the grace of God fuels our giving. So let me share a few of those with you. One of the ways I think Paul thinks that grace fuels our giving is that he recognizes that God is the one who graciously gives us everything we have. God is the one who graciously gives us everything we have. It always sticks out to me when Paul is speaking to the philosophers in Athens in Acts 17, 25. He says, God himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Everything we have is a gift of the grace of God. Or Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, what do you have that you did not receive? The answer is nothing. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did, did not receive it? John the Baptist says something similar in John 3, 27. It says, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Everything we have, life and breath and all things is given to us by the grace of God alone. And I think Paul has this perspective in these chapters on giving. I think we saw that already in, uh, this is uh, what he means in chapter 9, verse 8, when he says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. You may abound in every good work. This is a recognition that all the sufficiency we have in all things at all times is a gift of the abundant grace of God. So, from the time we wake up in the morning to the time we go to sleep, God is carrying us and giving to us by His grace. And David even says, while we're sleeping, Psalm chapter 3, I lay down and slept, and I woke up because it is the Lord who sustained me through the night. So every part of our existence is sustained by the grace of God. So all is God's, and all is given by the grace of God, and God desires for us then to be conduits of His grace in the way we use the stuff He gives us by His grace. So I think Paul has this in mind when he's thinking about the grace of God fueling our giving. There's a recognition that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and every breath I take is from the grace of of God. And therefore, as I give to others, I'm only giving what God has already given me by His grace. I think a second way Paul uh, thinks that grace motivates our giving is by looking to the example of Jesus. God graciously provides the ultimate example of giving to us. 
Paul builds his entire life and ministry on this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, His most precious gift. God is the ultimate example of what it looks like to give out of the overflow of love and grace. John also puts it this way in 1 John 4, verses 10 and 11. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent or gave His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So John looks to the gracious love of God that precedes our love. We love because He first loved us, and God accomplished that love by giving, by sending graciously His own Son. And Paul draws the conclusion that if that's the way God loved us, by giving His most precious gift on our behalf, then we also ought to love one another like He does. Notice what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. This is the example he recognizes. As he's, as he's pressing the Corinthians to, to show the genuineness of their love in their giving to the saints in Jerusalem, that's verse 8. In verse 9, Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. Paul says there's an example for us to follow here in showing the genuineness of our love for the saints. And that is the Savior, even though He had all the riches He could possibly have, He was in the presence of His Father, His glorious Father. And what Jesus did was He set aside His richness and for your sake, for your sake He became poor. He he came and took on our humanity and bore our, our sorrows and our sins and our temptations and everything else. This is the way that God shows us what grace and love is like. Being willing to lay aside my own riches, perhaps even taking up some measure of poverty in, for the sake of others. Well... There's a third way I think Paul intends this grace here. And that is that the grace of God strengthens us to give. The grace of God empowers us to give. So the grace gives us everything we have. The grace is an example from God to empower and motivate our giving. And God also empowers us by His grace. He doesn't just give us everything and then give us an example of grace and then say, all right, now go do this. No, gr the grace of God comes to us in everything from beginning to end, even giving us the strength to give the things that He has given us already by grace. I think that's what Paul has in mind in chapter 8, verse 1, when he says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe affliction, in their poverty, they overflowed in a wealth of generosity. It was the grace of God that strengthened and empowered them to do that. 
And I think Paul has something similar in mind there in, verse, in chapter 9, verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God is strengthening you by His grace in order to give. So that's the fuel of giving, the motivation of giving. It's the grace of God. Now let's think together about the heart of giving or the manner of giving. What should our giving be like? We know that it overflows from grace. But what should it be like? Paul is deeply concerned in these two chapters that our giving be done not begrudgingly or under coercion, but joyfully and generously in response to the grace of God. So the heart of giving is joy and generosity. All of our giving should be marked by these two characteristics, joy and generosity. Notice in chapter 8, verses 2 through 4, you see Paul's heart for this joy and generosity. He says in verse 2, For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Those were the two things that came out of the grace of God. Not begrudging giving, but joy and generosity. Verse 3 says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So they didn't do this from any kind of outside constraints. They did it of their own accord. They were begging Paul for the favor of giving for the relief of the poor in Jerusalem because of the grace that was given to them. Paul makes clear in chapter 9 verse 5 that, he, that this gift should be a willing gift, not an exaction or in verse 7, he says it should not be done reluctantly or under compulsion. If you look at verse 7 of chapter 9, Paul says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. When we give, if we do it begrudgingly or unwillingly or under compulsion, we're not doing it Cheerfully, that's not the kind of giver God loves. I imagine if we really think about what God says throughout Scripture in a number of other areas of our service in the Christian life, God actually hates begrudging giving. It's a stench in His nostrils. He says things like this, Their lips are with me, and their, but their hearts were far from me, and I despise this. And I think the same thing can apply to our giving. Their wallets are with me, but their hearts are far from me. This is not what God loves. God loves a cheerful giver. And why should we not be cheerful? Because God has given us so much grace. Well, it's not just the joy. It's also the generosity. So when we give, we do it with joyful hearts and when we give, we do it generously. Because that is a reflection of the way God has given, is it not? He has given generously. 
We saw that already in chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. This gift that came from the Macedonians to the poor in Jerusalem was generous. In fact, Paul says there in verse 3, it was beyond their means. That's generous when it is beyond your means. But in chapter 9, verse 11, Paul uses this word again, generous. He says, you will be enriched in every way. Talking about the grace of God. You will be enriched in every way in order to be generous in every way. Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Why does God give us everything we need and more than we need? He does it so that we will be joyfully generous in our giving toward others. In reflection of His grace so that others will thank Him. You know, I confess this is hard for me because uh, I think that generous giving is not uh, a gift of mine. It hasn't been. I, it doesn't come naturally to me. Uh, it's hard for me to let go of things sometimes. I feel like Bilbo Baggins with that ring of power sometimes. And Gandalf is asking me for the ring and, and I'm uh, reluctant. Uh, it's hidden in my pocket. But listen to what John Calvin says about this. He says, we are by nature excessively ungenerous. Maybe I'm not the only one. Because we are prone to distrust, which tempts everyone to retain with eager grasp what belongs to him. For correcting this fault we must lay hold of this promise. And here Calvin is talking about 2 Corinthians 9, 8. We must lay hold of this promise that those that do good to the poor do no less provide for their own interests than if they were watering their lands. For by giving to those in need, like so many canals, they make the blessing of God flow forth towards themselves so as to be enriched by it. When we give generously to others, when we don't hold on tight to our things, when we recognize these are gifts of God's grace and so we open our hands freely to others, it's as if we're watering our own lands at the same time. And I know that we discover this as human beings over and over again. I just finished reading the autobiography of Andre Agassi. I don't know where he stands with Jesus, but it struck me throughout the book as he got older in his life and his tennis career, he said, I discovered when I gave generously to others, I was happier than at any other time in my life. He battled a lot of depression. He recognized. And he says time and time again through the book, I have learned that this is the most important thing for human beings, to give generously to others. It's changed my life. Over the holidays, I read a book by Harriet Jacobs called Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl. It was about her experience of slavery during the 1830s. And she hated slavery so much, and it was so oppressive to her, so burdensome to her that she ran away. And she hid in a little compartment above a shed behind a house for seven years. She hated slavery so much in her experience of it that she was willing to live in a small compartment 
for seven years. That's how bad she hated it. But what struck me as I was reading her story is the way her friends and her family gave of themselves generously for her, for the cause of her freedom. One woman during her slavery put her away in, in a compartment in the home she was serving in, hidden from others. And in doing so, she placed herself in tremendous danger. Tremendous danger. This woman repeatedly gave her what seemed to be most of what she had. And when Harriet Jacobs said to her, why do you do this? Why do you endanger your life so much for my sake? And she said, it's because I love the thought of you being free so much that I'm willing to give. It'll satisfy me if I can see you go free and be free. She was willing to endanger her life and give. When she finally was on the, uh, at the last moment going to run away and get away from this compartment she had been hiding in and flee to the north, her grandmother came to her with a bag of money, her life savings that she had collected from cooking and selling what she had baked over the years. Everything she had, she gave to her granddaughter for her freedom. And I, th I think what Paul is thinking of here is much like this. When we understand the freedom that we are creating by giving generously for the cause of the gospel and for the relief of the poor, then it causes us like her friend and like her grandmother to be willing to give what we have generously for the cause of others. Now before we go on, I want to think about a couple of hard questions here. Because you notice one thing I have not said is how much should we give? What does it mean to give generously? And one of the reasons why I have not said anything specific is because Paul does not do that. Paul, in these chapters, as I said earlier, is working so hard to speak about our giving as an overflow of the grace of God and not under compulsion or coercion. He's working so hard that he wants, to, wants us to understand our freedom in Christ even with respect to our giving. He doesn't give specifics. You should give this much of your income. That's nowhere found in this chapter. And I think there's a reason for that. It's a little bit like what he says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, where he says, You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. I think that applies to our money as much as anything else. We have freedom in Christ. There are not strict rules about what you give here that Paul is laying down as a command of Christ. But he's saying to us, don't use your freedom in Christ with respect to your money as cause for the flesh. But rather through love, serve one another. Our money, because of the freedom of Christ and the grace of Christ, is there for us to love one another and serve one another with it. Notice in chapter 9, verse 7, the way Paul puts this, he says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So again, he's working hard not to lay down clear, specific rules. As he has decided in his heart, the only thing that motivates is 
the grace of God and the cheerfulness that comes from that and the desire to love and serve others. Now, he did say back in chapter 8, verse 3, that the Macedonians gave beyond their means. And Paul celebrates their sacrifice, their love, their joy, their overflowing generosity that they gave beyond their means. But he does, I think, make clear on down in chapter 8 that he doesn't expect everyone to give beyond their means. If you want to, that's great. That's what Jesus did. That's what so many Christians out of the love of God have done. But notice what he says down in chapter 8, verse 12. He says, for if the readiness is there, the readiness to give, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. So you get the sense that Paul is not asking us to be crazy and unwise with our money. He's asking us to have hearts that are joyful and generous from the grace of God and to give maybe beyond our means, perhaps, but what he desires is that you not burden yourself excessively, but there, there be fairness. We give of our means to help others. Sometimes we receive uh, from their means to help us. But our goal is extending the grace of God to others. You may remember what Jesus said about the poor widow as she was dropping her mites into the offering box. Jesus said, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering. And of course, on the books, what she was putting in was much less. But Jesus recognized her, recognizes her means. And he says what she has put in is more than all the others. So, all that to say, the rules that Paul lays down are not strict ones. His desire is that we're not coerced but that we have hearts that overflow with joy and generosity. Well, let me say one other thing before we go to our last point. And that is that Paul expects us to give from the heart. He desires for us to give from the heart. But just like we see in so many other places in Scripture... What's in our heart does flow out into our hands, doesn't it? The fruit matches the root, as Jesus taught us. And the same thing happens here. So what Paul wants to communicate in these chapters, I think, is that our hearts should be overflowing with the grace and generosity of God. And that ought to be matched by what we do with our money. Notice what he says in chapter 8, verse 11. Paul says, so now, finish doing it as well. In other words, finish collecting this gift for the poor saints in Jerusalem. Finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it, that's their heart, may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. So Paul wants to see what happens with the money on the outside match 
the heart on the inside, they have a desire to do it. Hearts that want to give. So Paul wants them to match that heart's desire with the gift, which is a testimony to the love that they have. This sounds very much like what 1 John 3, verses 16 through 18 say. John says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Notice John does not say, this is how we know love, that Jesus has a desire for us in his heart. That's not the way it happens. The desire of the heart of Jesus is matched by the act of Jesus in laying down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the others. Now notice how John ties this to the goods that we have. He says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Because that deed and truth matches what is really in the heart. John Stott put it this way. He said, if God's word became visible, our words must too. We cannot announce God's love with credibility unless we also exhibit it in action. And that's why the abundant joy overflows in generosity. The hands match the heart. Now, last thing, the goal of giving. We've talked about the fuel of giving. We've talked about the heart of giving. But I haven't yet settled the question What should we give joyfully and generously to? We respond to the grace of God. We joyfully want to give of what God has given us. But what should we give to? And Paul, I think, in these two chapters gives us a couple of answers to this question. And I have said the glory of God and the good of others. The goal of giving is the glory of God and the good of others. Let's start with the good of others. Notice that as Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to give joyfully and generously by the grace of God, he's encouraging them to give to those who have need. If you look in chapter 8, verse 4, Paul says that the Macedonians were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So these Christians were earnestly wanting to give in order to bring relief to those who had need. The saints in Jerusalem had been experiencing uh, a significant famine and they had great need. And here was an opportunity for the Christians in Macedonia and in Corinth to demonstrate the love of God by giving to those who had need. Now I say this is exactly what Paul set out to do in his ministry. If we ask ourselves, what, what is Paul's ministry about? Well, we know that Paul set out to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus called him to do on the Damascus Road. I'm calling you to take the gospel to the nations, to the Gentiles. But in Galatians chapter 2, as Paul is speaking about the gospel that he knows with the other apostles, they say to him, Galatians 2 verses 9 and 10, they say to him, we just want you to make sure to remember the poor. That was at the beginning of his ministry. So it seems clear that Paul has these two goals in mind. His whole ministry 
is about proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations and making sure that he spends his ministry caring for the poor. And it's not surprising that the other apostles would ask Paul to do that. Because all through Scripture we see that this is the very heart of God. All through Scripture we see that God is the kind of God who attends to the needs of the poor. Just like Zach spoke recently when he's uh, in our Advent sermon about the Messiah. The, one of the most central characteristics of the Messiah is that he cares for those who are poor and needy. This is exactly how they discerned that he was the Messiah or they were meant to discern that he was the Messiah. He came to proclaim good news to the poor, to care for those who are poor. So what Paul is doing in his ministry is just overflowing from the character of who God is. Now this is striking in Psalm 112 because Psalm 112 is speaking about the type of person who is righteous in God's eyes. What kind of person is righteous in God's eyes? Listen to Psalm 112. It says, light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. Those are characteristics that are spoken about God. So a righteous person is one who mirrors the character of God in being gracious, merciful, and righteous. And then it says, it is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. His heart is firm trusting in the Lord. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. This is a description of the person who mirrors the character of God. I love how it says his heart is firm trusting in the Lord. That's what would free somebody to give generously. I don't trust in my stuff. I don't trust in my money. I don't trust in my things. I trust in the Lord and therefore I'm free. I'm free to give. And a person who mirrors the heart of God is a person who deals generously and lends. A person who distributes freely. A person who gives to the poor. Well, lastly, the goal of our giving is not just the good of others, but it's also the glory of God. Notice in chapter 8, verse 19, Paul says, and not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace, that's the gift to the saints in Jerusalem, that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. So our giving and generosity to others results in God getting glory as others see our generosity no doubt what the world sees there is say if if those folks are not trusting in their money and are giving so freely and generously and sacrificially then they must trust in this God of theirs right if you look over in chapter 9 verses 11 through 13 you see what results from the gift is thanksgiving to God. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. That's our goal. We want people to know that God deserves to be thanked. That's why we give. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, 
but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. I couldn't say it better than that. That's the two goals of our giving. Meeting the needs of the saints and overflowing with many thanksgivings to God. And verse 13 says, By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. The glory of God and the spread of the gospel is at stake, I think, in the generosity of the people of God. A reflection of God's character in this. So how do we give for these things? Well, certainly Paul believes that part of of what gives glory to God is the spread of the gospel, which is why he says, like he does in 1 Corinthians 9, 14, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And so we give our money to a local church because God has called pastors and teachers of the gospel to proclaim the gospel and to shepherd the people of God through the gospel. That's why we do that. And we give to the church also as a, as a way of caring for the saints. Those two things ought to be reflected in what we do. Our hope for Cornerstone Church is that when our people give through the strength of the grace of God, joyfully and generously, we'll do it in such a way that it will serve the ministry of the gospel and the glory of God and the care of the saints. God is calling Cornerstone to be a church that stewards His resources, which He so graciously entrusts to us to proclaim the gospel of the grace of God in Jesus Christ and to care for those who have need. It is our commitment as pastors and as interns to spend our lives for those two things. And may we as a local church continue to give joyfully and generously in response to the lavish grace of God so that those two things might flourish here and to the ends of the earth. May God's grace in Jesus Christ be seen so very clearly in the way we, with an abundance of joy, overflow in a wealth of generosity. And may it cause a ripple effect of generosity and thanksgiving and fellowship among God's people. Father, we thank you for your lavish grace. We thank you that you loved us by giving, by overflowing with generosity toward us in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you left all the riches of glory and became poor so that we might become rich. So that we might become rich not with monetary resources, but rich in such a way that we can overflow in generosity to others so that they might see your grace and see your glory and see that there's no greater treasure in this world than you. Lord, may our generosity be a reflection of that. We need your grace to help us. We need your spirit to empower us to be a joyful and generously giving people. In Christ's name we pray, amen.
You've been listening to a message recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.